Hello! Welcome to Flora Funga Podcast with, of course, me, Caitlin Keen. I think I'm just gonna start going by KK. Hey everyone, it's KK from Flora Funga Podcast. This week's episode is with Dr. Alea Wolf. She is a doctor of acupuncture and oriental medicine. She also has an emphasis in neurological disorders like concussions and traumatic brain injuries. And she has a career at Tarek Institute of Clinical Neuroscience and Rehabilitation. She also is an international speaker and educator on functional neuroanatomy, neurophysiology, neurological exam techniques, and neurorehabilitation using acupuncture and Chinese medicine. Uh, I was really excited to have her on because, of course, like I just mentioned, she will be linking kind of the connection between Chinese medicine and functional health. So getting into a little acupuncture, a little holistic health, but also incorporating Chinese herbs, which is super interesting to me. So I hope you enjoy this. And just a disclaimer, Puppy Toast will be featuring in here um, throughout, slash mostly at the end. So I apologize in advance for her barking in the background. Thank you. Enjoy. Well, welcome to Flora Funga Podcast. Thank you, Dr. Wolf, for being on. I listened to a couple of your podcasts on Chinese herbs and acupuncture and so many other things that you are involved in. So could you give the listeners just a little bit about you and uh, what got you into plants even? Definitely. So I have a bit of a unique practice in that I, I am an acupuncturist and a Chinese medicine practitioner. So I have both a master's degree and a doctorate degree in acupuncture and oriental medicine. And when we use the term oriental medicine, that's kind of an umbrella term that includes acupuncture as well as kind of a, you know, what you would call maybe Chinese herbal medicine, or some people refer to it as East Asian medicine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the Chinese medicine herbal practices are a little bit different than how uh, herbalism is kind of practiced in this country. And we mm-hmm. can talk about some of those differences. And uh, so on top of the, the background and kind of in my clinic utilizing acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine, uh, I also have a lot of training in, in both you know, functional medicine as well as functional neurology. And so I focus on neurological disorders and I approach those neurological disorders or any kind of dysfunction mm-hmm. within the nervous system through natural methods mm-hmm. of um, either you know utilizing acupuncture, utilizing herbs, utilizing nutrition. And then also I often have people um, kind of think of me as a personal trainer for the brain. Mm-hmm. So I do these uh, kind of in-depth functional exams of the nervous system and of brain function. And then I give people exercises that they can do or that we can do together okay. to rehab different aspects of brain function. Yeah. So my practice is very dynamic in that I pull a lot of different therapies into the, the mix, uh, even using uh, photobiomodulation uh, through the use of like lasers and LED light devices oh. and yeah. uh, yeah, all kinds of fun tools and gadgets here. <laughs> nice. What are some of those diseases that you're uh, mentioning, like the neuro- neurological? Mm-hmm. My main, uh, I would say kind of the, the vast majority of patients that I work with are coming in for rehab from concussions or okay. traumatic brain injuries. Mm-hmm. I 
from motor vehicle accidents or sports injuries, or obviously in uh, this area, lots of people fall and slip on the ice and have injuries in the wintertime from kind of uh, slips and falls. So, I mean, uh, once you start specializing in concussions, you realize that people can injure themselves in so many different ways. I've had a number of patients that have bonked their heads with their dog, like while they're playing with their dog and have concussions. Um, or people wrestling with their dog. The dog might have a chew toy, and then all of a sudden the dog lets go of the toy, and they fly backwards and hit their head on something. Oh um, lots of dog-related concussions. <laughs> um, so you you get to see it all. Um, and then I work with people that have migraines, uh, mm-hmm. ner- peripheral neuropathy, different you know peripheral nerve disorders, um, chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy. And then uh, with COVID, that's also kind of opened up a whole new category of kind of issues that people have experienced because COVID as a kind of infectious agent Mm -hmm. can actually impact the nerves, either peripheral Mm -hmm. nerve or central nerves in the brain. Okay. So that's why people are losing their sense of taste and smell. The actual physiological changes happening in the brain and in the nervous system as a result of that infection. Wow. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. I never thought like the inflammation of like the brain or stuff like that with COVID could um, cause certain things like that. Yeah. That is weird. Yeah. So I, I guess we were talking about your present. So going back to like your past, how was uh, your upbringing revolving around what you do now? Yeah, I, um, from a very young age, <clears throat> would go out into the forest mm-hmm. and I would make my own healing potions. I love it. <laughs> and at the age of six and seven, I was fascinated with the idea that you could take multiple different substances mm-hmm. and then mix them together. And then as a as a whole, once you've mixed all these things together, they somehow took on this um, kind of healing property. Right. So this idea of, you know, alchemy, of mixing different substances together to create something different, I mm-hmm. guess I was fascinated mm-hmm. uh, in from a very young age. And my my mother um, was kind of ahead of her time in terms of really utilizing herbs and supplements and natural things and having the mindset of drugs and surgery should really kind of be the last thing you go to, not mm-hmm. the first thing. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, let's try the natural, safe, gentle things first before kind of pulling out the big guns. Yep. Um, so just mm-hmm. kind of growing up with that mindset of, you know, if you've got back pain, why wouldn't you try acupuncture and chiropractic and physical mm-hmm. therapy first before just like having surgery? Right. <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. Interesting. And then so how did you get from um, making potions to getting into... Um, more of the, of the clinical practice. Yeah. Well, I remember when I was 13, I met a naturopathic doctor from Australia. And as a 13 year old, that was the first time that I realized that being an herbalist was actually like a legitimate profession. Mm, like you could okay. Google and, and, you know, learn, learn how to use herbs. And uh, so I got very excited. And this woman who I didn't like, I just met her once kind of randomly. Mm-hmm. Um, she told me she had studied in Australia close to um, Brisbane somewhere. And so when I was 19, I walked into the University of Minnesota study abroad office and I said, there's a college of naturopathic <laughs> medicine somewhere in Australia. Like I need to go there. Yes. 
And uh, what was different is that in the United States, you have to have a four-year bachelor degree before you can go to a naturopathic uh, college. Oh, yep. Okay. In Australia, you can actually go into naturopathic study directly out of high school. Oh, wow. So as an undergrad at the University of Minnesota, I was able to take courses and I was able to go to Australia and mm-hmm. live there and take courses in naturopathic medicine, um, even though I didn't have a, an undergraduate degree yet because they don't require that. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I always love my my little loopholes for yeah. like, how can I, I learn that now? <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. And so I had thought that I would go to uh, school to become a naturopathic doctor. That was mm-hmm. kind of the plan. But interestingly enough, I had had a, a you know a background in martial arts. And when I got to Australia, I also started to become very interested in uh, not just martial arts, but also Chinese herbs. Mm-hmm. And as I was learning naturopathic medicine, I was somehow very drawn to the herbs that were that, that were also used as Chinese herbs and getting drawn into Chinese herbal medicine. And so when I came back to Minnesota to finish my undergrad degree, I took an introductory course to Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. And that's what made me decide to follow that track um, instead of the naturopathic medicine route, because I got really fascinated with Chinese medicine. Right. It's own. It's a completely different paradigm. Okay, and that's something that uh, I think a lot of people don't talk about is kind of what is this different paradigm or perspective. Yeah. And so, while naturopathic medicine has this mindset of again, let's take a, a any kind of Western pathology mm-hmm. and uh, kind of get the right diagnosis for what the problem is, but then instead of using drugs and surgery, using herbs and supplements and nutrition and other natural therapies to mm-hmm. um, to kind of get this person feeling better. Mm-hmm. But naturopathic medicine still looks at the body from a, a completely kind of Western physiological framework. Got it. Okay. Chinese medicine has its own language and its own paradigm for how disease um, kind of uh, creates itself in yeah. the body. And okay. so the, the paradigm is radically different and the language is different and so the the question is always um you know what type of elements are out of out of harmony in the body and so they they say the body is a reflection of nature so Mm -hmm. in nature we have our deserts that are hot and dry we also Mm -hmm. have our cold climate deserts and then we've got our hot swampy areas and then (laughs) we've got our you know freezing cold climates and then we have seasonal change yeah so it's this idea that the body um, needs to be able to have all these elements in balance. Mm-hmm. And so if you take somebody, let's say, that has um, hypothyroidism and they have excessive body fat, they're overweight, they're mm-hmm. sluggish, they're tired all the time. You know, we look at this as like in a situation where there's not enough fire, there's not enough heat and the, the body oh, okay. kind of this cold, damp climate. Okay. Um, where things aren't moving and they're getting stuck and stagnant and that stagnation is causing the fatigue and feeling Mm -hmm. weighed down and heavy. And um, so we look at different disorders and they often, um, we can see kind of what elements are maybe out of balance. And so the goal is to use herbs to try to bring things back into balance. Right. And what are some of those like Chinese uh, herbs or medicine that are common? 
Well, there are hundreds and hundreds of, of Chinese herbs. And, and what's, I think, kind of one of the biggest immediate differences between naturopathic medicine versus Chinese medicine mm-hmm. is that a lot of times with naturopathy, you might go to using one herb. Um, so, for example, echinacea is very popular and it's mm-hmm. kind of a go-to for anything having to do with the immune system. Okay. Um, well, echinacea has certain properties to it. And so from a Chinese medicine perspective, if you have 10 people that all have a head cold, maybe only two or three of those would respond really well to echinacea um, because all 10 of those people are going to have differences in their bodies. uh, They're too hot or too cold or how that how their head cold is even manifesting in them. And so if we've got 10 people with a head cold, they might all get 10 different approaches based Mm. on their own unique physiology mm-hmm. and how that in pathogen is kind of uh, presenting clinically in an individual person. Right. Like their energetics of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then most Chinese herbal formulas are anywhere from like four to 20 different herbs too. And okay. so rather than just using one Chinese herb, we're always combining them. Mm-hmm. And many times there's even specific herbs in the formula that guide the herbs to a certain part of the body. So we have herbs that actually kind of uh, bring the herbs up to the head, for example, versus herbs that might bring bring the rest of the formula kind oh, of okay. or part of the body. Yeah. So we have, for example, a couple of different formulas. Uh, one is called Weifu Zhu Yutong. And that formula is really good for addressing things like stabbing headaches because mm. it helps with circulation in the upper part of the body. Um, but then another formula called Shaofu Zhu Yutong is also helping with circulation, but more so for the lower part of the body. So for things like menstrual cramps. Mm. And so you can see how like different formulas that both impact circulation one is kind of guided towards the upper half of the body and one towards the lower half of the body okay that's really cool like in and out or down and in stuff like that yeah yeah Yeah. we also have those kinds of properties too like does a formula actually help to like vent heat out of the body or does it kind of go deeper in the body to Mm -hmm. to do its work um yeah so we're always looking at those types of properties awesome and what are some scientists' perspective on herbalism? Like, what's the difference between, uh, yeah, their mindset with that? Well, and I think that that is where there's a lot of differences in, in the different countries. Because mm-hmm. in, in China and in other Asian countries, they're doing a lot of scientific research to understand kind of the biochemistry of different herbs. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with cancer research. That's a huge area. Mm-hmm. There actually is a ton of research happening in China to say, okay, like we, historically these herbs have been used to help with certain cancers or tumors or things like that. Mm-hmm. How are these herbs working? Um, and can we even isolate compounds from those herbs to create new cancer therapies? You know, um, Right, right. So, so that research, I, I think... Those things that it's been happening for decades, but it never makes the evening news in this country, right? Right, right. A lot of it never even gets translated into English. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so if you don't read Chinese and if you don't have access to all these Chinese medical journals, 
you don't even know that the research is taking place. Right. So that's where I think that where there's a bit of a disconnect in this country in realizing that there is a ton of scientific research happening to understand how do these different herbs actually work um, from a biochemistry perspective. And we just never hear about it unless unless it's like your profession and you're actually trying to read those papers and at least the ones that are in English um, Mm. and study that. But the research is happening. And a lot of the research validates why people have been using the herbs the way that they have been traditionally and historically. So how do you think we can, or how how do you think you can help bridge that gap between Western and Eastern medicine? A lot of it comes down to learning the basic uh, anatomy and physiology. Okay. And understanding where I, like my specialty with concussions, for example, I look at, you know, the, the neurophysiology of concussions and all the different aspects of what happens when you get a brain injury. Mm-hmm. And there can be prob- um, kind of issues that develop within the, the lymphatic system, for example, and that's the system that clears all the metabolic waste out of your brain. So if you now have, in a sense, the, the, the garbage removal system of your brain isn't working anymore, that's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a big driver for brain fog and um, depression and even just like the head actually feeling heavy and feeling kind of these chronic pressure type headaches. And so there are specific herbs that can actually help to promote this lymphatic system in the brain and promote the ability of the brain to get rid of all these toxins and metabolic Mm -hmm. waste. And one of those herbs is the same herb that you make those loofahs out of. Oh, yeah. Wait, loofahs are made out of herbs? Yes. (laughs) What? Yeah, loofahs are actual actual plants. It's a Chinese herb. One of its properties helps um, to kind of allow different um, molecules in that lymphatic system to be more soluble to get them to like get cleared out. Okay. Okay. Um, So yeah, that's that's like a classic example of something that we're all familiar with that we don't realize has these kind of amazing medicinal properties. Yeah, that's really neat. Mm -hmm. What are uh, what are some herbs going back to the COVID? Uh, conversation. What do you think are certain herbs that could help with symptoms for people? Yeah, what's been really exciting is I've been working with a company called Way Laboratories. And when COVID kind of first came out, the company responded by actually creating a couple of new formulas um, to address different aspects of what people were experiencing with COVID. And um, so there are two different herbal formulas that I use Mm -hmm. um, that actually help with the loss of taste and smell that some people were getting. And I've had a number of patients come to me where after like three or four months of having COVID or kind of like recovering from COVID, Mm -hmm. their taste and smell didn't come back. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so I've been using, (laughs) yeah. So I've been using two different formulas. One formula was really, again, a blend, a combination of different herbs that is meant to help with um, damage to the nerves from some kind of viral infection or pathogenic infection that's that's caused some nerve damage. Mm-hmm. And then the other formula has um, different herbs that help to kind of 
in a sense, um, help the brain recover from um, from any kind of damage to the sm- the senses, including mm-hmm. smell. And uh, so one of the herbs is called Shichong Pu. Um, uh, the Latin name is Acorus. Um, and so that's a major herb that helps with kind of opening up the, the senses and getting the taste and smell back. Um, so I've been using kind of a combination of, of two different formulas to help with people's taste and smell. Um, and it seems to be working well. Awesome. Um, and then so does that coincide with like the gut brain access that you're kind of referring to? Or is that something totally different? Um, so the gut-brain axis refers to this kind of two-way street. So we, a lot of people have heard about the vagus nerve, and the mm-hmm. vagus nerve is cranial nerve 10. And so the cranial nerves are interesting nerves because their nuclei, kind of where they originate, is in the brain, but then the nerve itself leaves the brain and goes somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And the vagus nerve leaves the, the lower brain stem and travels throughout the entire kind of uh, thoracic cavity and then the gut. And so the vagus nerve has an impact on lung function and heart mm-hmm. function, on blood pressure, as well as um, kind of giving the, the neural, neural inputs to the gut to help with mobility of the intestinal tract, for example. And so one of the classic examples is people that have um, Parkinson's develop something called alpha-synuclein, which is a plaque deposit. Okay. There's some research that says that that alpha-synuclein can actually be produced in the gut and travel up the vagus nerve into the brain. Okay. And then there's other research looking at, you know, why do people with Parkinson's develop constipation? Mm -hmm. and because the alpha-synuclein that's depositing in the brain is decreasing the output of the vagus nerve so that you don't have the the innervation of the brain to the gut. And so your intestines don't move the way they should be. And so everything slows down. Got it. Wow. So the vagus nerve is a two-way street where it's sending sensory information to the brain about what's happening in the digestive system and all the internal organs and then it's also the brain signaling to the gut mm-hmm. and to the rest of the body, to these internal organs. Wow. So that two-way street kind of gives us a, a bit of an, a window of access into um, having some control over these functions that are considered autonomic in nature, meaning that we mm-hmm. don't normally think about them. Mm-hmm. And so the the vagus nerve, it's, it doesn't have its own brain, right? The right. vagus literally just doing its job of giving the brain sensory information mm-hmm. and the brain is what's actually getting the the, the motor aspect of the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. Um, so what can happen with brain injuries is that if you lose um, your your brain's ability to kind of properly fire that vagus nerve mm-hmm. and you can lose your parasympathetic kind of tone so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have this balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic, and the vagus nerve is parasympathetic in nature. Okay. So it's not firing. We kind of have an overabundance of sympathetic activity and not enough parasympathetic activity. Okay. Okay. Like herbs could you use with concussions then? How does that also? Um, one of the things that happens, obviously, is... Um, 
the circulation can be impacted, especially if there's a lot of trauma to the scalp and to mm-hmm. the neck. Um, so a lot of people, when they get a concussion, they also have trauma to their neck as well. Okay. Yeah. But you can irritate some of the nerves in the back of the skull and in the the neck itself. That can trigger a lot of chronic daily headaches. Mm-hmm. And so there are different herbs that can help to kind of improve circulation and help with the certain aspects of headaches, for example. And then the immune system, when you get a concussion, um, you have an inflammatory re- reaction, and that's normal. And that's helpful because if you have any kind of brain trauma, you do have a lot of kind of metabolic waste that happens as a result of the trauma. And so the inflammation helps to clear all that out. Right. The problem is that if people are in a situation where they're having lots of what we call subconcussive head trauma, let's say like in uh, boxers or Mm. MMA fighters. Yep. Or soccer players that are heading the ball and, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in those situations, people can have a lot of subconcussive head trauma. Okay. And the research is saying that that subconcussive head trauma can also kind of trigger the the immune system within the brain to mm-hmm. kind of be in an inflamed state. So that then if somebody does get an actual concussion, um, that immune system can be dysregulated. Mm-hmm. So instead of having just an acute one to two week kind of uh, flare up of, of inflammation in the brain um, and then having that resolve itself after about two weeks, what can happen is that the immune system stays over like hyperactive yep. okay. and is constantly emitting inflammatory molecules right. in the brain. Okay. Um, so those are what we call like inflammatory cytokines. Mm-hmm. And it's the the microglia in the brain that that do this. That's kind of their job is to, um, you know, they have different states that they're in. So if they're just kind of sur- surveying the brain to make sure that nothing is amiss, those are um, they're in kind of a, a certain state that's mm-hmm. like security guard state. They're just yeah. cruising around, like looking for any anything that doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. And then if there's an injury, they kind of shift into a different state where they actually are creating these inflammatory cytokines. Mm-hmm. And then okay. in their active state, they're releasing all of them. And then they can become hyperactive and just continuously release inflammatory cytokines into the brain. Mm-hmm. So this hyperactive state is what we don't want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brings us back to the herbs. <laughs> right. And that's like allergies, right? That's like what... Um allergies are is like over stimulated yeah allergies can be like kind of like a hyperactive state of the the peripheral immune system and kind of an oh uh where too much histamine is being released as well Mm -hmm. Uh and so there are specific herbs where the research is showing that those particular herbs um can actually decrease this activity of the microglia Mm -hmm. uh, if they're in this hyperactive state and that's pretty exciting because there are no drugs that we have that do that. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have any kind of pharmaceutical that has that specificity to go in and mm-hmm. uh, decrease the activity of the of the microglia. Um, I actually just I have one patient who's doing some pretty cutting edge therapies um, that are I think that I think that we're getting there with some of these therapies, but mm-hmm. the they're all very new and they're not readily available and they're still kind of might be what you call experimental. 
Um, but in the meantime, we do have some Chinese herbs that have research behind them. Um, and one of them is Scutellaria bicolensis. Okay. And Scutellaria bicolensis has a couple different flavonoids in it. Um, one is called bicolin, one is called bicoline, and another is called wagonin. Okay. And these three flavonoids um, actually have the ability to kind of modulate those microglial cells to make sure that they're not con- constantly spewing out those inflammatory cytokines in the brain and mm-hmm. ongoing brain inflammation. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that inflammation is bad, but there is also like the good inflammation that, you know, help. But yeah, the overstimulated stuff is when it gets too much. Yeah, I mean, the all of these pathways exist for a reason. It's just mm-hmm. if, if they are, if we're, we're over promoting certain pathways and under promoting others, then mm-hmm. when things get out of balance. Uh, that's when it causes problems. Right, right. And so let's talk about your acupuncture uh, practice and how you got into that. Or is there real research backing up um, behind acupuncture? Yeah, that's kind of the same the same thing that we talked about before, where there's a lot of acupuncture research and mm-hmm. a lot of it is happening in other countries. So mm-hmm. we don't hear about it or it never kind of makes any of our mainstream media. Yeah. And I would say, too, that. Up until maybe five years ago, a lot of the research was um, poorly done in the okay. sense that maybe didn't have enough people in the study, or maybe there wasn't a control group, or maybe they didn't even in the, the method section, like where they didn't fully explain exactly what they did. Like there, oh, okay. was, there was a lot of poorly written research. And so we have kind of a long history of research that wasn't kind of gold star, gold standard research, that now that so much research is being openly shared globally, there is um, a much higher standard globally to do really high quality research. And so we're finally getting some high quality research being done to Mm -hmm. look at, um, you know, how does acupuncture work? Mm -hmm. Problem is that it works on so many different levels. And so studying it is very complicated. And there's also, you know, endless numbers of combinations of different acupuncture points. Mm-hmm. So okay, yeah. do you study, you know, one acupuncture point by itself to see like what that one point does? Yeah. Um, but if you go to an acupuncturist, they usually don't just do one point. Right, right, right exactly. <laughs> and so, again, that's these are just some of the reasons for why research is difficult. Yeah. What I think is really cool, I read a lot of the research that is looking at brain imaging and what parts of the brain are kind of activated when you do mm-hmm. acupuncture points. Oh, that's and really there's, cool. Yeah, there's a point on the wrist that okay. is very commonly used for nautical. Okay, yep. And so if people go on cruises, like they might buy bracelets that have like a little bead right there. And so the bead is like an acupressure bracelet that people okay. If they are getting motion sickness on the cruise ship. Yeah. And so a lot of people are familiar with this point and how it helps treat nausea. Mm-hmm. They did a they did a research study where they looked at the difference between this point, which mm-hmm. you know was for nausea, and then a point literally like an inch and a half kind of next to it. So yeah. To speak. yeah. And they found that in the brain, those two points had very different effects. Whoa. 
Yeah. Oh, that's really neat. And so even two acupuncture points on the same kind of acupuncture channel have different effects. And that's just one example of many um, of the fact that there is kind of a a specificity to the point and where Mm -hmm. it's located. Right. Yeah. And they found with that particular point for nausea is that it activates what's called the insular cortex, which is where we have a map of our gut and our stomach. Right. Yeah. Insular cortex is very closely in, involved with argument function and with stomach and, and with nausea, for example. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What are some other points that um, people always want to know about or that you find fascinating? Um, one, I would say one of the points that um, I use most common is actually right below the nose. Right. Okay. And historically that point was used to treat people who were in a coma okay now people that are in a coma aren't walking into the clinic right <laughs> right but i treat a lot of people that have had brain injuries and so when you have a brain injury in a sense um there's parts of your brain that are not not functioning not they're not activated in the way that they normally should be and what i find is that people will come into my office and They'll have a very flat affect as a result of the brain injury. So okay. they're not laughing at my jokes. They're mm-hmm. not laughing. They're not making small talk. They're just kind of, they're just suffering and mm-hmm. they're fully present. Okay. And after I do that point, it's all of a sudden like their personality wakes up Ooh. and you see them actually smiling for the first time after the treatment and you see them actually making more facial expressions yeah. and look more awake and they start and they say like, you know, as I work with them, they're starting to feel more like themselves. Okay. Wow. That's so, really cool. Yeah. So that's always really just amazing to see happen in real time. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I I just started doing some acupuncture myself, not like to myself, but going somewhere. And I feel like listeners would want to know what it feels like. How would you kind of describe the feeling of having a session? Yeah, I get a lot of people who are kind of scared of needles, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and a lot of people envision your giant syringe because that's what they right. that's what they're used to. Uh, so a lot of people don't realize that these acupuncture needles are so tiny and they're so thin. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, though, it's a, it is a stimulation therapy. We do want the body to know that the needles are there. Yeah. And so when I insert the needle, um, I want the patient to feel some sense of either like a heaviness or a pressure. Or sometimes they'll feel warmth, mm-hmm. even sometimes a sense of like a cool sensation. Yeah. Yeah, they're really different. Yeah, yeah. People will feel all kinds of different things when the needles are in. They might feel like energy moving in their body. Mm -hmm. Um, They might feel uh, like a almost. I know for me, when I do acupuncture on myself, right parts of my body will start talking to me. Well, I'll be like, "Oh, I need to put a needle there," and like, "Oh, I'm feeling this body part. Let me put a needle in that point." Okay. um, So I just feel like once I start doing acupuncture on myself it's like my body starts talking to me and it's like okay well now I want that point and that point wow yeah how many have you like put in to somebody or yourself at once is there like a limit or um there are certainly different styles of acupuncture Mm -hmm. some 
some practitioners use a lot of needles. Okay. Um, there's one treatment that's called um, the, the dragon's tail. Oh. Actually, put a needle um, at every level of the of the spine. Oh. But you're you're alternating needles all the way down the spine. Okay. And so that obviously requires a lot of needles. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is a lot. Yeah. I like how they have like different names for each of the <laughs> the the what would you call it system of needles or points. Mm-hmm. Different kind of strategies and okay. strategies. That one in particular is for insomnia. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. And where would you want people to start looking into acupuncture if they're interested? I feel like you can get. Uh, I usually have people do a local search list, find out like who's in their area, right? And then to see like if they're if they're wanting help with a specific condition to try to find an acupuncturist who maybe specializes in that condition mm-hmm. uh, and has maybe some additional kind of training and focus in that area. Right, um, right. That's usually a good place to start. Yeah, because a lot of uh, people within your same um, like corner, each person kind of focuses on maybe a different disease or a different area of interest. Exactly. Okay. At one point, I had we had four acupuncturists in one building, mm-hmm. and you know, one person like really focused on sports medicine, another person on fertility, mm-hmm. another person on like allergies and immune function. Okay. Um. So it's like we all kind of had our little specialties that we that we focused on. Yeah. No, that's really neat. It's very uh diverse. Um. And what. What is your goals with your your practice, or what are what's like your mission? With all of the additional training that I've done in concussions and brain injuries, I feel like I'm filling a, a niche. There there aren't too many people that do the type of work that I do that um, provides kind of these very functional, natural rehab programs that. Mm-hmm include both an active rehab component as well as kind of the passive rehab component of receiving acupuncture and craniosacral therapy and and photobiomodulation. So so I'm combining kind of active and passive therapies um, and as well as kind of the herbal component and if that's appropriate for the person. So there just aren't a whole lot of people that are offering these kind of holistic, natural approaches to concussion recovery. So that's a pretty mm. um, specific niche that I fill. Yeah, yeah. And so I just am always continuing to, I'm always on the quest to say, if I did help somebody, like, could I have helped them better? Could I have helped them faster? Mm-hmm. What else do I need to learn? And there's so many aspects to concussion recovery that you have to be able to understand you know how to help somebody sleep better um how to help them get like their cognitive aspects better how to address things like depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and sleep disorders and um, the autonomic nervous system and there's so many aspects to it you kind of have to be able to um just constantly be learning neuroscience and brain works yeah it's, it's a lot a lot of knowledge. <laughs> and uh, uh, neuroscience is just, you know, they have to rewrite their textbooks every few years. Cause oh, they really? That so makes sense. Much. Yeah, there's just, I mean, so much that people are learning on a daily basis and so much research that's being published that you have to constantly stay on top of it. 
Mm, that makes sense. And uh, I was on your website, and you talked about some classes or workshops. What are some of uh, those that you are a part of? Yeah, I offer courses for other healthcare providers who want to learn more about neurology. Okay. And in in kind of most Chinese medicine programs, there's so much to learn on the Chinese medicine front in terms of like learning the acupuncture and learning the the Chinese herbs and all the different formulations and how to combine herbs together mm-hmm. that there's not I, I don't feel like there's enough there's not enough time into learning your basic like neurology and neuroanatomy and neurophysiology um, and yet I, one of the things that we treat probably most commonly across the board is pain mm-hmm. right pain is very much happening in the brain, um, just as much as it's happening in the body. So I I feel personally that all practitioners can benefit from from having um, a deeper knowledge of 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 actual like neuroscience and neurophysiology. Mm -hmm. So I teach a lot of those courses. And then I always bring it back to acupuncture. And here's how acupuncture is actually changing brain function. And right. here are different exams that you can do to actually test that and, and see for yourself that the patient's brain function is improving. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, all of this fascinates me, how everything's kind of connected in inside and how you can use different things to help that. So that's pretty neat. Uh, if you had like a dream research, uh, what would you want to look into? Well, one of the specialties that my mentor uh, talks a lot about are eye movement disorders. Okay. And so Dr. Carrick is um, an expert in traumatic brain injuries. He's my, been my teacher and, and mentor in that area. And he's done a lot of research looking at different aspects of eye movement disorders. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to actually look at um, utilizing uh, devices that measure eye movements and the ability to like smoothly track a target moving either you know left or right versus mm-hmm. up or down, and then also kind of rapid eye movements um, from one target to another, and actually looking at these aspects of eye movements and uh, and then doing acupuncture. So taking a group of people that maybe had a brain injury, looking at how their eye movements are. And then using acupuncture as an intervention and then looking at their eye movements again to see oh, wow. the improvements in the ocular motor system in the brain. Um, so that's my dream research project. <laughs> yeah, that that is really cool. I, I guess I never thought about the um, eye, eye stuff, too. So, yeah, there's so many things. Wow. And how do you usually stay motivated throughout the day to work on all of these avenues? I think my main motivation comes from seeing people get better and to be, again, more effective and and having kind of the ability to to help as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you see somebody's life being impacted so intensely by something that maybe wasn't even their fault because they got hit by somebody else, you know, accident is completely not their fault mm-hmm. now they have a brain injury that's completely changed how they can function in the world um you know that's just a, a difficult place to find yourself in so to be able to help these people get their lives back is yeah, what wow. i 
definitely is the most rewarding thing and what keeps me motivated to like always be learning new things and trying yeah. to do better than I do. Yeah, that's awesome. I I respect all of that of what you do. That's really nice. And what advice would you give um people trying to get into your type of practice or acupuncture or Chinese uh medicine? It's it is a big commitment. Uh mm-hmm. It's a big time commitment. It's a big financial commitment. It's, you know, a lot of people sacrifice huge chunks of their lives to to go to school and to learn these things. And then once you graduate, you realize that the like that was just an entry-level program and you have a lifetime to yep. learn, learn more and learn more and learn, and learn more. Um, so I think that kind of understanding what people are, what, what you're about to sign up for is really mm-hmm. important. Because I think a lot of people get into it and then realize that maybe it's not for them or they don't want to be a clinician or mm-hmm. um, so, and a lot of people maybe get into it, but then they don't know how to run a business either. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of finding out what your strengths and weaknesses are. And if you know that you love Chinese medicine, but you don't want to have to run a business, well, then finding the right situation where somebody else can kind of do that piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's a complex thing. Yeah, uh, it sounds like it. <laughs> there's a lot of aspects to it. I mean, I I deal with a lot of motor vehicle insurance too, and so it's like I'm dealing with you know litigation and, and lawsuits. Oh, right, right. Um, you know, working with patients that are under the stress of having a lawsuit over a car accident and whose fault was it mm-hmm. and. So, you know, I'm I'm constantly having to like write up reports and send in notes and, you know, be part of kind of this whole process and that takes up there's a lot of paperwork involved yeah. in, you know, running a practice. Yeah. Definitely. People kind of just think about, oh, I just get to do acupuncture and it's super, you know, cool and fun and relaxing and it's like, well, there's a lot to running a business okay. interacting yeah. with patients and you know, dealing with insurance and mm-hmm. all yeah, no, that does sound like a lot to juggle. So thank you yeah. for uh, doing your work. Um, <laughs> That's the reality of it. <laughs> um, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Some questions that I ask everyone, um, relating it back to like the title of my podcast, Flora and Funga, how can Flora and Funga as a whole influence the future in your eyes? Hmm. Well. We always kind of look at this as a as a dichotomy between like you either have your medications or mm-hmm. you've got your natural herbs and, and things. And I just wish that we could get to a point where more people saw flora and fungi as like a daily part of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, in in China, if you look at say when they make a soup, I mean there might be like five different medicinal herbs in that food. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so I I feel like I wish that this knowledge was just more accessible to everybody and right. that as a culture we just utilized herbs and mushrooms and things on a daily basis to keep ourselves healthy rather than waiting until we're like dying of cancer to then say, Well, I need I need a Hail Mary you know, Yeah, like, last resort. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know for me, I mean, in the summertime, like what I eat in the summertime is completely different from what I eat in the wintertime. Yep. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think that idea of just like living according to the seasons and eating what's in season mm-hmm. and incorporating a lot of herbs and spices kind of appropriately according to the season uh, can make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the summertime, you know, having like the cooling mint teas. I mean, I drink mint tea every day in the summertime, um, hot or cold. Mm-hmm. The, you know, just cooling foods. And then in the wintertime, like utilizing a lot of the warming spices. And, you know, there's so much um, conversation around, oh, red meat's good. No, red meat's bad. Mm-hmm. And like, there's so much conflicting information out there. What they're finding is that a lot of times all of the spices that are being added to meat, they're very protective against any kind of negative effects of red meat in the body. Oh, okay. Um, and so if you look, if like whenever I make hamburger, for example, right. I always throw turmeric into my into my hamburger. Oh, that's a good little add-on, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like I'm always throwing like cumin and turmeric and all these like really healthy healing spices mm-hmm. into the meats as I cook them. Um, and the research is kind of saying like that's a super, that's a pretty healthy kind of approach to yeah. Um, to food. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try that today. So I got some ground meat. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. Sounds yeah. like a good plan. <laughs> um, and what do you want people to take away from this chat? I know we talked about a lot of different things, um, but what's like something that you want people to take away? Yeah. Well, a long time ago, I there was a study that came out that said that only three percent of the United States public had ever tried acupuncture. Mm-hmm. So, I would love to see that number go up. Yeah. So I think that even if people are just willing to go try it at least once to get a sense of what it is, and, yeah. um, I think that's that's always a great takeaway. So yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> it's like a little like meditation, you know. I never really realized how much like meditation and like self-reflection it is like while you're needled because it's like a 30-minute thing while you're just fully um, – in it so um that's kind of cool i think it surprises people how Mm. relaxing it is yeah yeah people are standoffish of like needles but it's uh it's very relaxing and and it's it's amazing so i would recommend it for people that are interested at all so where can people find you or your practice or website and all that good stuff yeah the best way to find me is my website which is healingresponseneuro.com okay and that's the website for my clinic. And then all of my courses uh, are on my other educational website, which is acupuncturenurology.com. Okay. Yeah, I will put all of the, the links in the show notes for my podcast. So um, people have that at their fingertips. Um, is there anything else you'd like to mention or anything that I've never asked? Not that I can think of. Um, Perfect. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to be on your show and yeah. uh, talk about a, kind of a unique topic. <laughs> yeah, no, I I love this. Uh, this is something totally different and uh, kind of combining two different things. So, thank you, Doctor Wolf, for coming on uh, for from the podcast. So, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Have a lovely day and have a good week. You too. Thank you. See ya.
Well, I hope you enjoyed this in-depth episode on acupuncture and holistic health. Kind of covered a lot of deep details on, on human anatomy, so hopefully you could follow along, and I hope that toast didn't make too much a negative impression on you. I hope you enjoy your day, and have a great week, my scientists, and go learn something new today. Peaches! Tired of feeling drained and lethargic? Wish you could boost your energy levels naturally and stay focused throughout the day with no crash? I've been struggling with this problem too. Thank you to Sovereignty's Purpose for the ultimate energy of the day. Imagine a world where you wake up feeling refreshed, alert, and ready to conquer any challenge that comes your way. With Sovereignty, you live your life with purpose. Whether you're tackling a project, powering through a workout, or simply need a pick-me-up during the day, Purpose is carefully crafted with a powerful combination of amazing ingredients like green coffee bean extract, cordyceps, ashwagandha, bacopa, beet juice, hemp blend, green tea extract, cherry, blueberry, broccoli, kale, and turmeric extract. All of this is only 25 calories and 115 milligrams of caffeine with no jitters and no crashes. Harness this aptogenic blend of benefits in your next smoothie, drink, cocktail, or dessert. Whether you're an entrepreneur, farmer, business professional, or student, Purpose has got your back. No more sluggish afternoons and hello productivity that lasts. Grab your blend with 10% off using the code KK10 on Sovereignty.co. That's S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y dot C-O and use KK20 for 20% off at checkout.